Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We're very sorry we're a day late, but it has been a pretty hectic uh, two weeks for us, I'd say. Yes, we've been all over the country. Yeah, Um, we keep trying to remember all of the places we've been, but then we keep forgetting them because it's been a really packed two weeks, I think, give or take. Yeah. Yeah, we started in Chicago. Um, Thank you to everybody who came out to our three-part talk on training like a boss, eating right, and riding happy. Uh, Super fun night over at the Edge Athlete Lounge, which is really focused on athlete recovery, which I thought was super cool. Yeah, it's a great center. They have contrast tubs, so a hot and a cold tub. They have the, what I call moon boots, but you're... uh you know, sort of compression boots that sort of pump air to sort of compress the legs. and But they also have lots of things so the athletes can train as well to justify using such things. So they have a kicker trainer studio set up uh, so people can ride their bikes and watch, you know, their numbers or watch movies. The ladies that were in there just before had secretly switched from the data-driven screen to, uh, I think, like a, a soap opera or something. So yeah. they said they were enjoying their... Their, their show while watch or, or while riding and then there's a couple people just doing treadmill intervals and stuff on some pretty fancy treadmills so definitely if you can get into that area into chicago and check out all chicago has but then also drop into the edge performance studio lounge lounge um they also have comfy chairs so yeah. a lot of people enjoyed the compression boots while they watched our, our consummate athlete talk which is molly saddle sore talk combined with her uh, nutrition talk, mm-hmm. and then also combined with some training ideas from me. Yeah, so we had a really good time there. Then it was on to Madison, uh, where we were helping some some racers, uh, Jeremy Powers and Ellen Noble specifically, uh, race in the cyclocross races there against some of Europe's best cross racers. So that was an insane, you know, thing to watch. We also got to check out the Trek Precision Fit stuff um, in their headquarters in Waterloo. Which was super cool for me, especially since I have the second edition of Saddlesore coming out in just a month. So figuring out some of the ways that they're doing really cool stuff with fit and pressure sensing uh, was really interesting for me. I liked that they did some minor testing on me to sort of show me how this stuff works. And I was very happy they kept referring to some of my... We'll call them issues as functional versus structural. Uh, I hate it when people tell me I have different length legs without actually doing an x-ray when I know I'm just kind of off balance and I could fix it. So it was cool that they were like, yeah, it's probably probably a functional thing for you, not that your legs are just stuck at two, di- two different lengths and you're never going to be able to fix it. Well, and that's often the case with a lot of different things. You know, it might even be the case that you do have some sort of leg length discrepancy, but we always have to step back and ask, you know, is that is that a normal human condition that, you know, not all the bones develop at, you know, exactly the same range? So, um, yeah, definitely we want to be careful whenever we're talking about pain or um, abnormalities uh, because we all have those and the body does adapt and is functional. So, indeed, sort of letting people know that it's, it's not the end of the world and certainly by just you know, pulling on someone's legs and comparing how far their feet go down a table is not necessarily the most accurate way we can diagnose those things, but might help inform decisions we make in the bike fit if it is apparent. And this was the next step they took was taking that as sort of a clue or an indicator and then sort of combining that with what you're seeing when someone actually gets on the bike, because it could be the case that you don't see any sort of compensation or the opposite compensation you would expect, in which case, obviously, things are you know, functioning fine, or at least differently than the leg length discrepancy might make you think. Whew. All right. Well, we're four minutes in and still talking about the first, like, weekend of travel. So on that note, I think we should probably shift gears and get into today's episode, which is with Adam McClellan of Parkour Generations. Uh, I tried parkour probably a year ago now, and the one class I went to... I absolutely loved. I had so much fun. I met so many cool people. I've been dying to get back to it. Um, but I just really think it's it's great, especially for somebody like me who loves trail running. I found just the one class helped my trail running so much. Uh, you don't really think about parkour as something that helps you kind of on a day-to-day thing, but it's so much about body awareness that I think it can pretty much help any sport. 
Yeah, I definitely went into it a little skeptical, but there's a few things in here that I think are going to be beneficial before you sort of guffaw and turn off if you haven't already from our rambling. Um, but the coaching certification process with parkour is actually one of the most stringent I've seen. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite questions to ask coaches, sort of their, their path to coaching. And so that was interesting and intriguing to just hear how hard their fail rate was something like, or pass rate was 40%, I believe. I think it was lower. So indeed, that's you know intriguing that they have that certification process and something that other sports or other coaches or, or you know administrators might want to hear about and then look into. Um, the other interesting thing is, you know, indeed, as Molly says, that everyday life application of parkour is one, it's a cool community, but two, it's, you know, something you can use if you're a runner, you know, if you're cycling, certainly there's a line choice, you know, bouncing between things. But, you know, I went on just a real casual hike, you know, the sort of thing around when we got married in Ellicottville with my parents. And, you know, as we get older, it's our ability to do things like, you know, step over a half a foot or a foot sort of gap in two rocks, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but there's a large mental component which we talk a lot about in this podcast the mental component of doing these parkour or you know just stepping between things jumping between things precision jumps there's a lot of that stuff that does apply to everyday life and you know i think will help with successful aging so i think really packed episode and one that you know i went into thinking you know might not be the most exciting but one that i think has a lot of really good content so i hope you enjoy it Consummate Athlete Podcast here with Adam McClellan of Parkour Generations. Uh, so first of all, hi Adam. Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so first of all, where is Parkour Generations located for, for those of us who don't know? Well, Parkour Generations is, uh, is everywhere. It sounds strange to say that, um, but it's true. We're actually an international organization um, originally based in London uh, and across the UK. Uh, but we now have branches in Brazil, Korea, um, Americas, uh, you know, across the states of America, of course. Um, so, uh, so we're pretty, pretty expansive. Um, so pr- most of the places you look, you will probably find parkour generations. Very cool. And where are you, sp- you yourself based out of? I'm personally based in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. Um, and that's where we have the, the Lehigh Valley branch, uh, parkour generations, Lehigh Valley branch here. Yeah, which I mean is how I, you know, came to know you guys because I am originally from Hunterdon County and then a couple, actually probably almost a year ago now, I read uh, the book Natural Born Heroes and they briefly mentioned parkour and I got like absolutely obsessed with finding a place and stumbled on parkour generations and took one class, but sadly I was not around enough to keep it up. It's funny you mentioned that Chris McDougall, the author, um, is a, a Lancaster local, and yeah. Parkour Generations Lancaster is another Parkour Generations branch here in Pennsylvania, um, and he he's trained there. I've met Chris several times. Um, he he and Parkour Generations partner up somewhat regularly. Like we've done performances with him and gone on his book tours. Uh, he's a really cool guy. Uh, much of his parkour inspiration uh, comes from it, um, and actually the beginning of his book. Uh, um, features a story of how he got involved with parkour, um, mm-hmm. and he talks about a guy named Andy Keller uh, and a guy named Adam, uh, and that's the two of us here in Pennsylvania. So cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'll be taking autographs anytime after this. Uh, Seriously. This that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really loved reading about that. That was definitely my the highlight of the book for me, and I really enjoyed the the one class I did make it to in Pennsylvania. Sadly, we, we bounce around quite a bit, so it's really hard to ever get in the practice of going to one class, but it's definitely, definitely. something I would pursue. Um, but let's get back to you. So how did you, first of all, yeah, give us a brief bio. How did you come to, to be into parkour? <laughs> Uh, so parkour for me was, uh, it started when I was a, a teenager, um, slightly older teenager. And um, once upon a time, parkour wasn't something where there were gyms everywhere and sort of most people knew about it. And there were coaches everywhere trying to get you to sign up for classes. It was quite the opposite. Uh, very few people knew about parkour. And if you knew about it, and you wanted to learn it, you were pretty much out of luck. Um, and so the only people who knew about parkour were sort of internet geeks because that's the only real way to find out. Um, this was about 10 or 11 years ago now. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I saw it on the internet. Um, I happened to come across some random videos of these French guys and these Russian guys jumping off stuff and doing crazy things. And uh, I thought that's, that's pretty cool. I'd already been doing martial arts. So I was kind of interested in, you know, disciplines and training methods. Uh, so parkour seemed really cool to me. So a, a few friends and I, uh, we started 
going out and basically copying videos, uh, which isn't the best idea. I'm sure we'll talk more about training methods later, but uh, copying videos is sort of the equivalent of finding some random person to fight in a boxing ring and calling yourself a boxer. It's not quite the same. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we did that for a while. And then um, fast forward a couple of years, uh, and I met a guy in Hawaii named Ozzy. Um, I lived in Hawaii for a year, and he was a, a very experienced and skilled practitioner. Uh, he was developing a community there in Hawaii um, and sort of brought me on board to help um, because I had some teaching experience through martial arts. So that sort of corrected my path. And since then, uh, I've been more uh, you know, t targeted towards proper training methods and uh, down the coaching and helping others path. I love it. Um, all right, and I, I guess I should back up with the next question here. And can you give us just a quick explanation of what exactly parkour is? Yeah, of course, I'd be happy to. Parkour is a, a method of training um, in which you train your body to overcome obstacles. Um, and those obstacles can either be physical or mental and are often both. Um, so it involves lots of running, jumping, climbing, vaulting, swinging, landing, rolling, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, more than just a practice, um, it's a, a sort of a discipline, which means it can be a philosophy or a mindset. So in addition to going out and jumping on stuff, uh, we also take that mentality of seeking out challenges and we apply it to our entire lives. Um, so, you know, whether it's a, a, a job opportunity or whether it's a, a, a challenge that we face in our personal lives, the mentality of parkour is to, is to use, um, you know, obstacles as opportunities to grow. Um, and that's really the, the heart of parkour. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so, I mean, you know, you kind of almost answered it with that, but how can, you know, any athlete benefit from, you know, learning some parkour skill? I know, you know, oh. when I took the classes and then I went trail running, I found it, you know, I could see my, or I could feel myself doing stuff a little bit differently, even just after one, you know, class. Yeah, Molly, I wouldn't even know where to begin in terms of some of the benefits you can have. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty much endless. I mean, you've got, obviously, you've got the agility and you've got the body awareness and you've got the strength and the power uh, that comes from parkour training. And all that can apply to so many sports because it is a very whole body activity. Um, mm -hmm. And even if, that, even if, if your physical abilities uh, are already where you want them to be, that mentality that I mentioned, uh, is just as vital and just as valuable um, because you can use that mentality to overcome challenges, whether you're a volleyball player or you play ping pong or whatever you do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's really important. And above all, you know, overcoming fear is a, is a core value of parkour. Um, and fears are, you know, they really inhibit people uh, in all activities and all areas of life. So having that ability of, of knowing what, what and how your body reacts to fear um, gives you a, a real advantage in anything you do. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, I think I'm just going to start, instead of mountain bike training, I'm actually just going to do parkour and then just race <laughs> yeah, mountain bikes. Probably help. I mean, some of the stuff, like the, especially the precision hops and stuff, like where people are hopping like onto handrails and stuff would be, yeah. I think probably, I mean, even just jumping, you know, stairs or from heights and stuff would be, you know, in some mm -hmm. ways similar. Yes, no, that's absolutely true. It's, it's people I think are unaware of how able their brain is to adapt to these skills. I mean, you think about how on earth does the human brain even calculate the distance of a one-inch handrail and be able to, you know, judge and, and execute the power exactly necessary to land on it? But it can. It's fully capable of it. We just usually don't use it to its full level. Absolutely. What about trail runners? Do you have any trail runners that you that that work in parkour so that when they're out on the trail, you know, they're their, their skill capacity or their, you know, precision is, is so much beyond what a trail would present. Which I guess is almost exactly what Chris McDougall was doing in Natural Born Heroes. Yes. No, that's absolutely correct. I do have, I don't have a couple, I don't have any students who are, you know, explicit trail runners, but I have a lot of students who enjoy trail running. I was mm -hmm. just trail running this past Saturday morning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's a lot more fun, but because it has that challenge mentality, you know, you, you're motivated by jumping over logs and going up and down hills. Uh, and that's, it does share that philosophy. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's super, it's super cool. And it's amazing to me, even being in the class the first time, actually what you said about the handrail, we were doing some of that and I couldn't believe what I could do when, you know, 
I just tried to do it and didn't just freak out about it. Yeah. And that curve doesn't stop. Even advanced practitioners surprise themselves when they're capable of doing it. So it's really quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, so on that note, what are some of the, I guess, like couple key moves in parkour, if you had to kind of break it into a few key movements? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a huge diversity of techniques and movements in parkour um, because the idea is to take an environment or a series of obstacles and adapt your movement to them. So mm -hmm. it's almost like every day new movements and techniques are being created in order to adapt to a new environment. So, uh, you know, the list of techniques and specific moves, if you want to call them, uh, could be endless. But if you wanted to categorize them, I mean, you could say we run, jump and climb and you could say we vault, jump and land. Um, you know, there's there's general ways to explain it, but uh, the techniques are endless. They branch out upon themselves uh, exponentially. Yeah, for sure. Um, and okay, when I was at the class, there were a lot of people, I'm going to get into the what equipment must I have question. Um, and uh, when I was there, it was a lot of people in like baggy, white, almost like martial arts type pants and tank tops. If I don't show up in that, am I going to get kicked out? <laughs> well, it depends where you go. You know, there's some people. Are... No, I'm kidding. Um, absolutely, you could you could essentially train in anything, and and I'll give you a, a couple of examples. Um, certainly, you're correct. The the stereotype parkour person will have some you know a pair of baggy sweat sweatpants on, and they'll be wearing a t-shirt or a tank top or something along those lines, uh, depending on the weather. Um, and then they'll have some sort of form of athletic trainer um, uh, or sneaker, uh, but. Anybody can train. I mean, people will be wearing shorts. People will be wearing uh, jeans and pants. I know a few very, very incredibly skilled coaches and athletes who go out in khakis and, and, and normal sort of everyday casual pants and train in them because why not? Nice. Um, and some people train barefoot and some people train in really thick shoes and some people train in really thin shoes. Um, and, you know, while I have my personal preferences and there are sort of Generally, general knowledge is accepted, like thinner shoes are better for sensitivity and will teach you better technique, and thicker shoes are maybe have a, a bigger risk of ankle injury, but will protect your feet from impact a little more. There's all that knowledge out there, but if you're a new student and you're trying to get involved in the class, uh, you, can, you can wear pretty much anything that's comfortable and you'll be absolutely accepted. Nice. Uh, and then where is the best practice place? And I feel like I know what you're going to say here, but... <laughs> reading my mind um, <laughs> yeah it, it, I mean are you talking about locations or are you talking about uh, like finding a community I guess actually both like one would be I guess just practicing on your own solo but then yeah also how do you find a community sure yeah we call them we call them spots you know we look for training spots um, and it's a tricky one, particularly in America, where liability is a bit of a concern. You know, you can't just walk up to any property in the world and start jumping around on it because mm -hmm. you might get a security guard who comes out and goes, hey, you're going to sue us if you fall, so you're not allowed to be there. Um, and you really can't argue with that. I mean, that's their responsibility and it's their job. So there's a sort of cultural understanding across the mature parkour communities that when you're asked to move away from somewhere, you just respectfully do so um, and not try to make a big deal about it. After all, it's their property. Um, mm -hmm. But in a similar fashion, the, the, the cultural expectation is when you train somewhere, you try to leave it cleaner than where you when you arrived. So, for example, if I'll teach a group class, a part of our cool-down jog might be to actually run around the school once and pick up as many pieces of trash as we can find and throw them in the garbage before we leave. Um, so there's that mentality about where to train, and we, we hope that that helps us. Um, with that said, I think you can usually go to any sort of public park um, and elementary schools or high schools when they're not in session usually have playgrounds that are open to the public. Um, those types of places are, are usually pretty friendly uh, and that's where a lot of the common group sessions will end up being. Yeah. Okay. And you do, do most parkour places not have one standardized gym, if I'm understanding that right? Uh, Parkour gyms are, are definitely popping up um, because it allows you to consistently teach classes year-round regardless of the weather and always know that you have equipment there. And, and of course, insurance companies really like four walls and the ceiling, so that's helpful. Mm. Um, but uh, it's certainly not required. Um, for years, the, the community here in the Lehigh Valley was strictly an outdoor-based community. We never had any indoor classes. 
Um, the only indoor classes I teach even now are children's classes. All of my adult classes are outside uh, when I, whenever the weather allows. So um, you, it's absolutely not necessary, but you will see a lot of gyms popping up. And there's, there's pros and cons to training outside and inside. Both are good. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I guess that kind of answered the question, but how do I find people to train with? And I mean, I guess you can talk a bit about parkour generations, because I know especially as adults, it's sort of hard to just stumble into a class like that without feeling, you know, super awkward and nervous. Oh, there's no question. It's definitely difficult to begin. And that's why it's so important to find a community that has a qualified coach. Um, and there's, there's, I, I couldn't possibly emphasize that more. Um, if you're just looking for people to train side by side with, um, you can usually Google the name of your city and the word parkour, and you'll probably find a college club or some group of friends who have gotten together but if you're lucky, you're going to find a professional community with uh, qualified and certified coaches. Um, and if so, if you, if you want to train next to somebody, you know, you just Google your city and hope that you find other people who train. But if you're looking for qualified coaches, people who can actually guide and lead you through really proper training and sort of take you on the correct path, um, a really good place to start um, is the ADAPT Network. And ADAPT is the name of a coaching qualification program. So if you go to like adaptqualifications.com, you'll find more information on that qualification process. Okay. Um, so, so really excellent coaching certification. That's the only one in, in the United States that's endorsed by the American Council of Exercise. Um, and uh, that coaching qualification has a, a very expansive network, not just in the U.S., but across the world. Um, and all of those coaches have gone through a, a fairly rigorous process in order to gain that certification which means that when you go to a class of theirs, you can rest assured that it's actually going to be a, a you know, a good class that's safely uh, done and well-planned and above all, it's welcoming and warm, which is what you need to feel when you're, you know, somebody starting with a brand new activity. Yeah. And is that a, that's a parkour certification? Yes, that's correct. Um, you have to, there's certain qualifications that you need to fulfill to take the course um, there's level one, there's level two, and level three. Level one is assistant coach, level two is a full coach, and level three is a master coach. Um, and so if you find a, a level two coach somewhere, that's uh, that person has been through a rigorous testing process. Um, and I would uh, eat my hat if that person did not teach a, an excellent class yeah. and provided you amazing experience. Um, so if you can find a, you know an adapt qualified coach, um, those people are, are uh, going to give you something special. I will, I'll agree with that. And I'll say the one class I did go to, I guess there was a level one coach that was in the class, like doing some of the coaching and participating partially. Um, mm -hmm. And I talked to her a bunch about the qualification process and she put in a lot of time to even just get to the level oh, yeah. one. It was crazy. Yep. And that's just the assistant. You, you're not even allowed to coach by yourself yeah. uh, when you're and level two is incredibly intensive. Our, uh, the passing rate so far in the United States is, uh, is below, I think, 40%. Um, oh, wow. So it, it takes a lot to get all the way through that process to be your own standalone coach. So I'm wondering on this topic of where to practice, is there, you know, with something like salsa or something like that, you could go to South America and it'd be like, that's like the salsa, you know, like Cali, Colombia or something like you could go and like immerse yourself. Is there a place like that? Like is the UK the place to go for parkour or like where could you go if you really wanted to immerse yourself in parkour oh boy that's a that's a tough one there are i would tell you there's a few cities where um you know the parkour activities are incredibly dense um and it depends where the sort of where the culture allows for it so in america there are cities like colorado um where parkour has, has really uh, grown very strong roots uh, pennsylvania is also becoming one of those states um, there's a lot of communities in texas um, uh, DC as well has old, uh, old roots planted there. They've been there a while. Um, and then outside the U S uh, London is an excellent place. There's a, you know, incredible parkour base there. You could go to some of the, the cities on the outskirts of Paris and France, like Lise and every where the art originated. Um, and you will see a lot of people practicing. So it sort of depends which every, every country has developed its own culture for parkour training. So depending on which culture you want to immerse yourself in, you can sort of choose which one you'd like to immerse yourself in. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and then kind of back to the coaching a little bit. Uh, you talked earlier about how you got started with just watching videos and trying it. So why would someone want to not do that and opt for probably at least going to a couple of classes to sort out some of the, the moves? 
Yeah, and that that's because a, a sort of balanced training approach is, is really really important. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, it's a strange thing to say what I'm about to say, um, but it's a fact. Which is parkour is the, the practice of parkour, the execution of parkour is by definition a destructive activity for your body, um, <laughs> which means you do nothing but uh, jumping and landing and doing all the stuff that you see on videos. Your body's going to eventually break down um, and, and become injured and, and you know, chronically injured and. and and I mean, this is coming from a professional who coaches us for a living. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm being you. Um, but so in order to not have that happen to your body, you have to balance it out with a with an effective training methodology that includes um, conditioning, you know, strength, endurance, and power conditioning, as well as uh, good recovery training, which means that you're taking care of your body, resting it, you know, feeding it the nutrients that it needs. Um, so you need a holistic approach to your training in order to really do it in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, a great example is one of my students is in his 40s. Um, he's lost about 50 pounds and counting, and it's completely changed his lifestyle. But he's able to continue training even with all the, the young guns in the class um, because he's approached his, his lifestyle in a balanced way. Because he's eating well and he's exercising well and he's doing things to make sure that his longevity is in place so that he can continue to enjoy this training methodology for the rest of his life. Um, so coaches are experienced in guiding you through that process, uh, and there's no way to know how to do that when you're just, you know, following a tutorial that you found on YouTube. Sounds kind of like downhill mountain biking. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's yeah. That's, you, you must be right, because I've seen those videos, and I have no idea how to get to that, get to being that good. I'm sure if I tried, <laughs> I would really badly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay, getting into that, that normal training week, if you do have a coach, what, what does a, what does a normal training week look like for somebody that's, you know, trying to get a little, you know, get in shape, lose weight, like that guy you just mentioned? Yeah, I think, um, a good healthy routine, if you're just sort of trying to enjoy parkour and have a a balanced activity would be something like maybe three or four days a week of training and training could be a, a few hours a day. I mean, it could be one hour, it could be four hours. It just depends how intense you want that training to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you need, you know, a good diet and, and making sure that you're feeding the body that nutrients that it needs. And you need a couple of days of rest and stretching and, and tissue massage and that sort of activity to, to balance out the, the muscular sort of tension you're putting yourself through while training. Um, and and that's, that's a pretty healthy activity. And there's such a diversity of things you can do within your training. You can go balance on a rail if you want to relax. You can do a bunch of push-ups if you don't want to relax. You know, you can focus on cardio or you can focus on endurance. You can work on your technique. You can try to overcome your fear. The list is endless, and that's why there's sort of no excuse to do some form of training because um, there's so many ways to do it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It kind of combines, yeah, like a yoga class with a strength training class with like a high-intensity boot camp class with like a low-level cardio thing, just depending on Yo, how you want to play right. <laughs> like a buffet of exercise choices but the whole thing is fun yeah now to get into it i mean would you normally try to suggest somebody getting reasonable is there a reasonable level of shape someone should be in to start it since it is as you said you know kind of damaging no absolutely not um you do not need to be in any specific shape in order to begin your parkour training you just have to begin your parkour training uh in a wise manner so Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you have joint pain or if you're, you know, overweight to the point of you find it difficult to move in an agile way, um, you just need to start and progress in a in a in an effective manner. So you need to do things that don't hurt and that you can do safely and effectively and build from that foundation. So it doesn't matter where you are. Parkour can adapt to your you know level of fitness or level of activity. Um, you just have to be patient with yourself so that you're not rushing through it. And that's that's the case no matter how good you are. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, I mean, I, I guess I can tell Peter's, you know, obviously his mind is turning. Can you do competitive parkour? These are the important <laughs> questions. <laughs> yes, the answer is yes, you can. Uh, there are parkour competitions out there. Um, and uh, they've been on television shows in the past. Uh, and sort of the American Ninja Warrior has sort of taken the front frontal stage of, of competitions because it's a good format and parkour applies itself well to those types of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll see a lot of experienced parkour athletes on that television show. Um, however, there's a, a, a fairly strong current in the parkour community that uh, is 
somewhat opposed to competitions. Um, and that's because parkour is by definition an individual activity. So, um, you know, we just spoke about how you have to pace yourself and you have to do things in a way that are safe for you. Um, and the competitive mindset isn't quite on that same, uh, you know, strain of thought. It's, it's more about comparing yourself to others and, you know, and measuring your performance against the performance of another. Um, and the parkour sort of philosophy or, or values uh, are somewhat removed from that type of activity. Um, parkour is a little more zen in the sense that uh, the goal is to, you know, beat yourself every day and find challenges that are challenges for you. And it, it doesn't really matter if somebody else is better or worse. Um, and right. So a lot of people sort of really believe that philosophy. Um, and then others are like, hey, man, competition is really fun and it's a cool way to get better. Um, so there's, there's schools of thoughts on either side of it. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, you could meet different athletes who would have different opinions. Yeah. Uh, but the competitions do exist in our community. Yeah. It's kind of like competitive yoga, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's mostly it's difficult to measure um, because as a simple example, some of the guys I train with, um, one guy might be able to do far better grip strength things than me, but I might be able to jump further than him. But some other guy might have much faster sprints and can do a, a longer dive into a vault than I can, but maybe I can do better handstands. I mean, it's so difficult to measure because the, the skill diversity uh, is so far apart um, that it's, it's, it's almost silly trying to really judge who's the best parkour person because you know, that nobody is the best at everything. There's too many things to be good at. Yeah, absolutely. So actually what you just said made me, made me think about something. When people think of parkour, I think they often think of people running around doing like crazy backflips and somersaults and stuff like that. Now, is that standard for parkour? Or I believe some of the understanding is more that it's just getting very efficiently from place to place using kind of whatever thing you have so is, is the answer somewhere in the middle of that or are both totally yeah obvious? that's a, a funny one um and if i wanted to give you the long answer i'd have to tell you a really long history story um uh, but I'll, I'll try to give you the uh, the spark notes if you will um <laughs> the david bell is credited as being one of the founders of parkour um, which is true he is one of the founders and he his philosophy or or the reason he wanted to train um, was he felt the need to be strong enough that if he needed to help somebody um, or make a difference in the world that he could, you know, if he needed to save a life or carry someone across a bridge or swim across a, a lake to save a life, you know, that, that was his motivation for training. So whenever he would train, he would, he would create these scenarios and he would go, okay, if, if, if I needed to get to that wall, what would I do? And so efficiency was a very important value for David Bell. Um, and because David Bell is revered as the sort of a founder of parkour, many people followed that philosophy and they said, okay, parkour training is about being efficient and efficient movement. But efficiency is a, is a funny word because efficiency could be efficiency of time. It could be efficiency of effort. It could be efficiency of safety. Um, it could be efficiency of noise. Um, you know, if, if, if someone, wants to hold a gun up to your head and say, do a backflip. I, I think the most efficient way out of that problem is to do a backflip. Um, even <laughs> backflips aren't necessarily efficient movement. So it's, it's a complex thing and it's very philosophically based. Um, but to answer your question more directly, um, parkour is a training method about overcoming challenge. So if doing acrobatics is a challenge for you and you develop a training method to overcome that challenge, then you've, you've been doing parkour. Um, and if, if you, uh, you know, just want to focus on being a really swift and powerful mover, um, then that's also parkour. Um, mm -hmm. As I said before, it's an individual training path that depends upon your goals and your challenges. So um, there are some schools of thought that the more uh, acrobatic you get, the more you move away from parkour. But I don't necessarily agree. I think there's plenty of room for acrobatics in parkour uh, as long as you've got that mentality behind it. Sure. All right, so you've got somebody, somebody new to parkour showing up at the class. What is your best advice for him or her for their first session? So a really good um, sort of, I guess, method to follow is something we call SPRC, which stands for Safety, Progression, Repetition, and Control. Um, and this is something that if I had the power to 
principle in the brain of every parkour student on, in the world. Um, I, uh, and the, it basically is a, a, a guideline, a walkthrough that helps you understand how to train as well as how to achieve particular movements or skills. Um, so you start with step one, which is S for safety. Um, and this involves things like checking your surfaces, making sure your body is warm and that it's safe and it's not injured, it's ready to go, that the obstacle you're going to be moving on isn't you know, broken or that there aren't people in the way or there's no glass on the ground. All this is sort of considered safety, making sure that this training process is going to go well. Mm-hmm. The second step is P for progression, which means taking things step by step. I know we've talked about that earlier in this little chat, um, but obviously you want to progress uh, so that you're not advancing further than what's natural for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and progression could be a five-minute process or it could be a five-year process. It depends what the goal is. The third okay. step is repetition, um, and that sort of speaks for itself. Um, we often say that a great athlete doesn't uh, do a movement until they can do it well. They do it until they cannot do it um, poorly. Um, and so, you you know, you want to drill a movement until your body just knows exactly how to do it, even when you're not thinking, because uh, you want to be able to be in that state of flow when you are accomplishing that movement. So repetition is the tool to get there. Uh, and the last letter is C, which stands for control. And control is the goal, I like to say. Um, Whenever we are working towards a skill or a movement, we want to be in complete control of that movement so that uh, we're doing exactly what we intended to do. So safety, progression, repetition, control. Uh, If you follow those steps, you can achieve just about anything, depending on how much time you have. I like it. Um, All right. I have another one here kind of about that. But so, So if someone can't necessarily get to a class... Are there a couple of maybe key training drill type things that someone could be working on like until they can find a class or get to one? Like we talked a bunch about rail balancing, like that's come up a few times. So Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of information out on the internet um, mm-hmm. and much of it is very, very good information. Um, so if you go to a, like the website of a, of a qualified parkour community and you see that their coaches are, certified and that they're doing the right things and they have a good reputation. Many of those websites have sort of like get started beginner tutorials and they'll give you basic information like here's some exercises to warm up and here's some uh, basic tips for learning the basic techniques and and all that information is really valuable. You can also go on YouTube and search for things like parkour warm-up drills or parkour upper body conditioning or parkour jumping technique tips um, and you'll get lots and lots of really great stuff. The only thing you have to be careful of is um, building bad habits. Mm-hmm. Um, they say practice makes perfect, but I disagree. I think practice makes permanent, which means if you aren't paying quite enough attention to what you're doing and you go out and you, you know, you go through SPRC and, and you're repeating a movement a hundred times and, and you think you're doing great, but you're building in a bad habit, then you're, that's more work later. So that's why having a coach is valuable because they have the experience to watch you and, and make those corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have access to a coach, there is a lot you can learn. Yeah. Do you have any particular favorites as far as warm ups or drills go? Oh, I think one of the, one of the, the, the timeless elements of parkour training that you can utilize uh, is something we call QM, which stands for quadrupedal movement, which is moving on all fours. Um, so if you look up QM or quadrupedal movement on the internet, you will see an endless amount of variations and all of them are amazing. And that's because QM uses a, a huge amount of muscles in the body. Uh, it's using your legs and your core, your back, your arms, um, often both sides, anterior um, and uh, posterior sides of your muscle chains. Uh, and it's no impact, um, which means you're not, you don't have to worry about the sort of joints, long-term problems that you might dealing with if you're working on jumps or vaults or wall runs or any of that other stuff. So QM is a is an excellent way to warm yourself up, to do some conditioning, to work on your cardio, and to build that body awareness. It's an excellent activity and an excellent drill. Nice. Um, outside of that, is there maybe one cool move that I could do to make it look like I know what I'm doing if I'm showing up at a parkour class? Like, how can I impress everyone? Maybe not the coach, but like everybody else in the class that doesn't really know everything. I hear you. Just put on a little bit of a show real quick. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, obviously we promote humility and honesty. Um, but with that said, I guess <laughs> I'll give you, give you one, uh, one cool technique that's a lot easier than it looks. We call it a lazy sit, 
Um, and it's essentially where you're standing um, in front of a rail, so you're facing it, you're perpendicular to this rail. Mm -hmm. um, and you grab it with one hand, and essentially you can take both of your legs and you swing them up on top of the rail. They go over the rail, um, almost like you're going to land on the other side. Uh, in a pendulum motion, instead of landing, you swing them back over the rail again. So you end up turning 180 degrees. Uh, it's uh, a little difficult to explain, but if you look up a lazy sit on the internet, you'll see the motion. It looks really, really cool, but it's uh, a fairly simple movement. It's once you sort of get the timing of it, it's not complex at all. And most beginners could learn it in, uh, in a small period of time. So nice. if you do look it up and you want to go practice it somewhere that looks safe, um, I think you might impress a few beginners. But, uh, you know, that you also have to ask yourself, uh, you know, if, if the beginners are feeling comfortable, uh, <laughs> you know, because they don't know that move. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why obviously humility is the goal in class, but, um, learning some cool moves is certainly a good confidence booster as well. Yeah. Well, if you see someone show up to one of the Lehigh Valley ones that does that, you can safely assume that it's probably me. So. All right. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. Next thing. And we're, we're almost done here, but what's the best way to avoid getting injured in parkour? Yeah, the injury rate is uh, incredibly low in parkour. Uh, I myself have never done anything worse than sprain an ankle in 10 years of training. Um, and in about six years of coaching, um, I've seen a couple sprain ankles. I've seen one broken wrist from a bad fall, and that's it. Um, so I, I challenge any football coach to beat that. Um, pretty, pretty good injury rate. Um, but uh, in terms of avoiding getting injured, uh, it's really about um, – building uh, a good um, sort of, we call it body armor. Um, conditioning is a crucial element of training, um, mm -hmm. and it serves two purposes. So we call them the two Ps of conditioning, um, which are uh, performance and protection. So obviously, through conditioning, you can become stronger and faster and more powerful, and that helps you perform parkour. Um, but as I talked about, when you're dealing with the impacts of, of this dynamic movement that you will be doing in parkour, your body also needs protection from that amount of force. Um, and so conditioning can serve to uh, build a, a muscle frame that allows you to sort of have a, a body armor against those forces. Um, so a good conditioning routine is going to help you get injured. Um, good body awareness is going to help you uh, uh, to avoid getting injured. Uh, and last but probably most importantly is a high level of discernment. You have to know when, you know, it's time to take on a challenge and you have to know when, Maybe that challenge is a little bit too much for today mm -hmm. uh, and to walk away. So discernment and, and a good, strong body. Nice. Uh, last, last question from me. Uh, is there any weird or surprising etiquette that somebody should know when going to a class? <laughs> yeah, there are probably some strange cultural elements to parkour. Um, I think we've already talked about the, the poofy sweatpants that you will certainly see in classes. <laughs> uh, a pretty thing. Um, if you if you join a class as a complete beginner wearing uh, like Aladdin pants and uh, a pair of uh, you know thin uh, Asics sneakers and uh, and you've got a T-shirt on that says parkour on it, um, people are going to be very confused why you're not moving like a experienced professional because you're dressed like one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, no, I mean I think we try to be pretty open and friendly in our communities, which uh, you know helps people from feeling like there's things they don't know or that they're outside the the culture. Um, but there are some little things uh, if you join a parkour generations class uh, or most of the ones in uh, in France or around the UK, um, we have a, a sort of a strange handshake. Uh, it's almost like the Roman handshake where you uh, grab each other's forearms as opposed to doing a, a normal handshake. Um, so that's a, a sort of a a strange cultural thing that in the Parker Generations communities we do. Uh, oh so my maybe gosh. be prepared. A person from my high school just made so much more sense to me all of a sudden. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it all came together for you. There we go. <laughs> well, and that's even a move that you, if you could come into class knowing that this was going to happen, that's then that true. would also be a, a move where you could be humble, but then also fit in and not be one of the noobs as much. <laughs> Yeah, it, it helps you feel feel like you're a part of it, um, uh, but you know you don't have to announce anything. You're just you're just fitting right in exactly. So if you do train with a Parkour Generations branch or even a lot of the communities who are associated with Parkour Generations and, and enjoy you know their culture and training, many of them will do that forearm handshake. Uh, so by all means, uh, join us. It's not an elite special club. It's just a sort of a, a 
thing we fell into. Nobody really knows why, but we all do it now. I like it. Peter, do you have anything else? Um, I guess one thing that sort of stuck out is going back to one of the first questions, you know, we talking about what parkour was and you talked about how um, it was very mind body and, you know, overcoming challenges and stuff. Can, does anything stick out for you? Like why parkour more than, you know, another sport, say trail running or football or something like why is parkour different um, in how it approaches that mind body connection? Um, I don't know if that's a way you approach it in class or in the teaching or, you know, just what sets it apart as far as making it more of a, a philosophy and something that's brought into life. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty passionate about that topic. Uh, and I, and I appreciate that question more than I can say. Um, there's a, I'm, I'm going to answer that question in a roundabout way. If you'll, if you'll forgive me. Um, Absolutely. Love it. There was a, a study done at, uh, I believe it was a yeah, Stanford experiment. It's called the marshmallow uh, experiment. Some people are familiar with it. Um, and it's a, it was a study on, on what they call delayed gratification. Um, bear with me here. So they would put a, a marshmallow uh, or a cookie or whatever in front of a child. Um, and they would say, uh, okay, uh, you can either eat this now or if you wait five minutes or wait 10 minutes, we're going to come back and we'll give you a second one. And they studied the behaviors of those children to see how they dealt with uh, delaying their gratification processes. And the results of this study, it was a study done by a guy named Walter Mischel uh, in the 1970s. And the results of the study were that the children, they, they, it was a very long-term study, and the children that resisted gratification, who said, okay, I'll wait, as opposed to those who ate the marshmallow right away, ended up being far more successful and uh, in their life. They had better life outcomes. They had better school sc uh, scores. They had better educations, they even had better body mass indexes and a number of other life measures. They were found to be more successful people because they could sort of delay that uh, that part of their brain that said, I, I want what I want right now, and they were able to discipline themselves. Um, and the reason I'm telling that story is, to me, the, the parkour community and the parkour training mindset is similar to saying no to the marshmallow. It's mm -hmm. a training discipline where you are basically putting your body on manual. So instead of going, oh, I'll just walk up these stairs like everybody else, you're going, I'm going to stop for a second and I'm going to see what I can do with these stairs. And I'm going to experiment and I'm going to play. And then after I discover what there is to do, I'm going to discipline myself to achieve those things, even though it's going to be very, very hard work. Um, and that's that hard work ethic that builds you towards achieving something that's meaningful, that's uh, sort of powerful to yourself, uh, overcoming your own sort of inner demons and becoming a better person with no other tools except your own willpower is a very uh, profound uh, process to go through. Um, and I truly believe that going through that process leads you to becoming a more successful person in your everyday life. And that whether it's your personal relationships or whether it's your family life or whether it's your job, um, whether you train for parkour in one year or whether you do it for your whole life, I do believe that process of disciplining yourself and training yourself to achieve those goals, even if it's really hard and even if you don't get there right away, um, is, is, is profoundly powerful and impactful to a person's character. And that's why I do what I do. Uh, and that's why I love parkour, because I've seen that change in people. I think that's a great answer. I mean, I think other sports would have that element. And I was just sort of thinking through, you know, that sounds sort of like, you know, people talk about the army or military or they'll talk about martial arts in a similar way. But I think to me, what sets you apart and you can agree or disagree is that the sport is so portable and open to context and interpretation. Whereas, you know, if you're a karate, you could argue, I guess it could go, but it, you're, you, you pretty much have to go to a, a proper place to fully practice a lot of martial arts. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, we can, we can be outside. It sounds like you prefer to be outside. You can be, you know, you could be someone with a low level of fitness and very, you could participate, you know, you could be anywhere, right? It could be part of your day. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and coming from a martial arts background, I, I you know, have a, a similar passion for martial arts. I have a, a similar passion for essentially any discipline. I think being a part of a discipline takes you through this process, but by far parkour has been the, one of the most accessible forms of that discipline um, for people to reach. I mean, if you just look at it in some of the strangest countries where there are no organized sports whatsoever, you'll see videos of people practicing parkour. And I mean, you've got toddlers and children and seniors and 
you know, uh, full-grown adults and high schoolers and college students and women and, uh, you know, men and every demographic you can possibly imagine has an equal shot at being good at parkour. Uh, so that's, that's pretty important as opposed to, as you mentioned, some of those other disciplines, which while they may be just as impactful, can be more difficult to, to, uh, to access. Absolutely. Awesome. I yeah, think. I think that's really good. I mean, I think that answer, you know, we need to almost go out with that answer because that's, that's pretty good. I'll definitely link to some of the stuff about the studies and whatnot so that people can research the marshmallow study um, yeah, and all your other links, of course. Do you want to, are you on Twitter or anything like that on the socials we can send people towards? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to um, Parkour Generations. Uh, you can look them up. We're the Americas branch here in the U.S. So if you look up Parkour Generations Americas on Google, you will find us. Um, and we've got Instagram, we've got, uh, you know, Twitter, we've got Facebook, the the whole deal. So by all means, uh, follow us and uh, follow some of what we're up to. Uh, we're obviously very passionate about what we do. Uh, and the more you can get involved, uh, whether it's local classes, whether it's workshops, coaching certifications, um, we do a number of other services that are really cool uh, to help uh, corporations or, you know, kids' birthday parties or uh, infiltration, exfiltration processes. Uh, you name it, we do it. Anything that we can be helpful with, uh, all that is available online. It sounds awesome. I'm really interested in this coaching certification. It sounds really good. So you, oh you god, might, he's just gonna might... now he's gonna be a parkour coach. Well, it sounds like you've gone pretty deep. I'm always interested in the sort of path people have taken the different certifications and education things. But I mean, it sounds like it's a pretty deep, pretty. I always like when the failure rate's high. Yeah. You know, I hate when it's like 99.9. It's like, well. That shouldn't be the way tests are. So I like that. So no. I might be in no, touch on that. Right. No, it's a, it's a very difficult process. I, I failed the first time I took my physical assessment for level two. Uh, and it, it was heart-wrenching, but it's the way it goes. You know, mm -hmm. if you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And you've well, got to work harder to get there. That and, was your, that was your marshmallow. Good standard. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. This was super cool. It's renewed my desire to keep up with parkour. So, like I said, hopefully we'll be back in and around Lehigh Valley. And yeah, we'll definitely try and connect down there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that would be awesome. You guys are always welcome. We're a family here at Lehigh Valley, um, and uh, any other parkour generations branch, of course, feels the same way. So, uh, by all means, please come and uh, hang out with us, join our culture of effort, and uh, we'd be happy to have you. And we'll know the handshake, so. <laughs> right. You can waltz right in. Awesome. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, yeah, we'll chat soon. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Right. Bye. As always, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, please let us know what you thought about it, how it's impacted you, or changed the way you're training. Uh, you can let us know in the comments over at consummateathlete.com. Or you could let us know over Twitter at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. And of course, if you liked the episode, please leave us a review over in iTunes. That would be super helpful. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week and we will see you next time.